SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, it took a little break after the holidays to kind of uh, <laughs> gather ourselves after the roller coaster that 2020 was. But Joe Lundergan, Eric Henry here back with you once again today. We're going to talk a little bit about the bowl season that was for CUSA as much as we kind of want to forget it, honestly, and uh, talk about some transfer news and notes as well. Uh, Eric, how are you, buddy? It's been a little bit since we last chatted. Yeah, man, I'm doing all right. We kind of do this every year, right? Where, you know, we take Mm -hmm. that break towards the end of the year around the holidays and it always kind of sneaks up on us where, you know, we got a couple bowls, we got to recap and it's like, all right, let's just do a, a dive into the entire bowl season. And unfortunately, as Conference USA fans, the pull season was not too kind to us. But outside of that, I can't complain. The weather is finally warming up around these parts. I, I know I apologize for those of you listening in, in you know, rather uh, chillier climates. But what can I say, man? You know, I'm not a Floridian for this uh, 40s and 50 degree weather. So the fact that it's going to be 80 degrees next week is, is rather comforting. But outside of that, I can't complain. Yeah, you know, I think now, uh, for whatever reason, it's it's starting to get a little bit warmer in uh, the Northwest as well. But uh, the holiday season, it always kind of requires a little vacation from the vacation once everything finally starts to calm down. So, um, yeah, it's it's been an interesting couple of weeks as we kind of recap everything that went on. Um, first off, Eric, no secret at this point. Um, no wins for CUSA in bowl season this year. Uh, UTSA lost to Louisiana. Western Kentucky lost to Georgia State. Uh, Marshall lost to Buffalo. FAU lost to Memphis. Uh, North Texas lost to App State. Um, when you kind of look at bowl season as a whole for CUSA in 2020, um, you know, was there any kind of silver linings you think for any of these teams, or do you just kind of consider this a complete wash? Silver linings is tough, man. And listen, I am not uh, a reactionary guy. I remember in the moment as these bowl games were taking place, I'm just looking at it again on my phone. We had the first one was the Myrtle Beach Bowl took place took place December 21st. We had one two days later, then two days later, then one day later, right? So we had all those bowl games within the span of a week. And I did see some CUSA fans just kind of get a, into a bit of a frenzy with the fact that within the, what's that, a six-day, five-day span, It was just nothing but losses, right? So here's the big thing that I remember. In specificity to Marshall and Buffalo's game, Marshall was without Brendan Knox, right? You know, and that's their star player who, of course, Mm -hmm. chose to uh, pursue the NFL draft. But with that being said, Buffalo was also without their superstar, Jarrett Patterson, who I'm sure Conference USA fans, (laughs) if you're not familiar with the name, he's the guy who ran for a billion touchdowns in a game, I think, a a week or two prior to the bowl game, right? So that's kind of a wash there. And and that was the closest game as I'm looking at the score here. Yeah, uh, 17-10. That was the closest game, but that's the one you would have liked to have seen CUSA come across and and win. Outside of that, okay, um, Louisiana and and, uh, UTSA also was a seven-point game, right? And that was a very good game as well. But I think the ones that are really troubling, App State, North Texas, and I guess you can't be too surprised. Uh, you know, North Texas made a defensive coordinator change, Clint Bowen after one year dismissing uh, Phil Bennett coming in, but they hadn't been able to stop anybody. If my memory serves me correct, I just wrote uh, a way too early power rankings piece, and if my memory serves me correct, I believe North Texas was 120. 
third or 125th out of 127 teams in points allowed per game. So no shock there that App State, you know, was able to run up the scoreboard. La Tech, Georgia Southern, that one was, you know, really tough. I mean, a 35-point loss there. And, and that one, of course, you can look at guys like Luke Anthony. And I also talked about how Louisiana Tech was really ravaged by players who chose to opt out, whether it was Adrian Hardy, you know, Donovan Campbell, Willie Allen, their, their top two tackles chose to opt out either before the season or before the bowl game. So, you know, they really were kind of depleted as well. You look at FAU as a team that struggled to score throughout the year with their quarterback issues. Memphis goes and, you know, pretty much handled them pretty well. And then, of course, Western Kentucky, a team that had struggled. Or I shouldn't say struggled. They, they, they had their highs and had their lows. They picked them towards the end of the year. And uh, the fact that they allowed 39 to Georgia State, that one was kind of tough. I don't remember off the top of my head if Devin Key and Kyle Bailey opted out prior to that game or afterwards, but nevertheless, uh, they had also you know had some players who, who chose to opt out during the year. So all in all, I, I guess that's my long-winded way of saying, Joe, you're not thrilled that they lost every single game and especially some of the wide margins, but 2020 was just a funky year in general. And I mean, when you account for these games and and whether it was being depleted due to guys choosing to opt out or, you know, missing players to COVID or whatever it may be, you can, you can kind of rationalize some of the scores, but overall still disappointed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going into that first responder bowl in particular, like I, uh, I really thought UTSA had a decent chance of pulling that out. I mean, granted it was obviously close. It was a one score game, but, uh, you know, I really thought that was going to be this big shining moment for uh, for that team, given how far they've come uh, in the last 12 months or so. Yeah, Joe, and I want to bounce this one off you really quickly. I think the thing that most sent CUSA fans into a frenzy and our own Jared Kalmus wrote an article, actually a, a piece about it after the bowl season. You got one, two, three and four losses to the Sun Belt. Uh, what was your takeaway from that? You know, I'll piggyback uh, uh, where you leave off. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the teams that uh, from the Sun Belt that that played in this with uh, Louisiana, Georgia State, um, App State, um, I mean, right there, you've got plenty of programs that have been steadily improving in a big way over the last four or five years or so. So like, it's not super surprising uh, in, in particular, the fact that, you know, app state won and, um, and the fact that they won in the way they did putting up 56 points, but I don't know, I guess it's not surprising when you look at those programs in particular, but you know, it's, it is one of those kind of, you know, I, there's a better phrase for it, but come to Jesus moments for, for CUSA here where you look at, you know, the Sun Belt, who I could argue is kind of along with the American is kind of one of their main competitors for fans, students, et cetera, in that geographic area. And, sure. you know, Sun Belt is definitely winning the battle there uh, over the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, and and I'm going to prepare you for this question. I want to Read it to you ahead of time before I go into my and go into my uh, synopsis. But I'm going to ask you when I finish up if you feel that the Sun Belt is in a better position than CUSA in terms of overall conference maybe kind of success overall trajectory. But my thing is this: you look at I, I think <laughs> when you look at CUSA, anyone who's followed this league over the past few years knows it's an ebb and flow. 
teams that are good. I mean, that's why I like to credit, you know, teams like UAB, teams like Marshall, even though they made a coaching change, who they've had a level of sustained sustained success, excuse me, over, you know, five, six, seven year span. And maybe you can argue, at least if you're Marshall, that you haven't reached the heights that you would have wanted to. You don't have the highs and the lows, right? I'll look at the team that I cover in FIU. You go 2017, 2018, they look like they're ascending towards the top of the conference. And if my memory serves me correct, it's been over 400 days since they've won a game. Uh, last time they won a game was the upset of Miami. They go six and seven in 2019, then winless this year, right? So my major point there, Joe, is that CUSA as a whole, you kind of have those highs and lows and those ebbs and flows. So it won't shock me. It wouldn't be shocking that in 2021, we get a normal year and we have some of the teams who quote unquote disappointed pop right back up in our, in our bowl teams. And then you're looking at CUSA through a completely different prism. And I think the same thing can be said for, for the Sun Belt, right? Like my only gripe for those who who want to say that the Sun Belt is in a, you know, in terms of trajectory, is in a higher, you know, kind of they're heading in a, in a different direction than CUSA. I will have to give the Sun Belt this. They kind of have a, a branding, for lack of a better phrase, right? Like they're the fun belt. You know, they had I covered the oh, I'm forgetting the name of the bowl game right now. It was in Orlando. Dear God. Um, Coastal Carolina and Liberty. Uh, I'm like, man, I'm having a I can't remember the name of the bowl game. The Cure Bowl. I covered the Cure Bowl mm-hmm. for, for UDD. And that was I don't know if you caught it, Joe. One of the best bowl games, best football games of 2020. You know, and I think they have that exciting brand of football. Right. Where it's like they're the fun belt. And they had a lot of close games. And Conference USA doesn't necessarily have that identity, right? I mean, they can't control whether the games come down to one score or come down to overtime. But as a whole, they don't have that branding and identity, whereas the Americans adopted as, you know, we're the Power Six Conference, right, with UCF and and Memphis and and teams like that. And uh, the Sun Belts adopted like, you know, we're the fun belt. Arkansas State and teams like that, they're going to put up a ton of points and be fun. And I think that's the only gripe you can have with CUSA. But as a whole, I don't look at it, and maybe I'm being a CUSA homer, but I don't look at Conference USA as being, you know, heading in a completely opposite direction as the Sun Belt. And I know some uh, fans among CUSA circles felt that the Sun Belt just has a higher trajectory and, and, and they're heading in a different direction than CUSA is going. Yeah, I mean, that's fair to say. I mean, first off, you look at the Sun Belt and um, you, you kind of look at like the race for the uh, conference title that there was this year between sure. App State, Louisiana, uh, Coastal Carolina as well. And like that kind of entertainment brings like significant value to the conference in terms of just making all the other teams want to be better in order to compete. But to your point about the ebbs and flows, that's kind of the nature of G5 football when you look at it from like a big picture perspective, right? Uh, One coach, one player can come in and make these smaller programs relevant on a national scale again. But (laughs) to your point, they could be off to the NFL or off to a a better job or graduate or or whatever a couple months later. And then they got to figure out how to do it all again with a completely new roster so i i don't think it's time for anybody to hit the panic button but i mean <laughs> the bar for next season is is definitely low for cusa as they look to improve and sort of play catch up with the other g5 conferences here yeah joe i'll finish up on this because i think you made a really really good point about you know how tight that race was um and how things came down to the end and if you look at the sun belt or excuse me if you look at cusa 
the they had the same situation out in the West. When you look at UAB, La Tech, and UTSA, the only difference was in Conference USA, our division races were unfortunately decided by cancellations and who was able to play the most games, right? Whereas mm-hmm. at the Sun Belt, they were pretty much able to sell it on the field outside of the title game, which, of course, we saw the fiasco where, you know, that ended up being a COVID situation as well. So that's the only thing I'll say really quick is that, you know, I think it's a great point you make as far as how entertaining that race was, but we could have had the same thing in CUSA. It's just that ours was decided, unfortunately, in Frisco and not on the field. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fair point. So as a whole for bowl season, COSA, not great, but there's always next year. And uh, while the Sun Belt is definitely the superior conference this year, uh, might not be the case in, in eight months. So we'll see what happens. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I did want to dive into the uh, Camellia Bowl a little bit, Eric. Uh, Marshall losing that one (laughs) 17 to 10 here. Um, You know, I I think Eric, or rather, I think Jared put it, uh, stated it really well in in his piece a couple weeks ago, talking about how Marshall was supposed to be kind of the flagship for the conference this year. And I mean, they really just kind of fell apart at the end, like Buffalo, not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. Um, (laughs) You are probably going to hear their running backs name called on Sundays next season uh, or whenever he he heads to the NFL. But, um, you know, to see how Marshall started the year and then to see how they ended the year, you, you have to be scratching your head a little bit. Yeah, Joe, and and I know we're going to get into it a little bit here uh, before we kind of do the recap of news and notes, but I, and, you know, through when we do our Beat Rider series, I'm sure we'll get Grant Trailer on, and, and you know, we'll probably uh, talk to some people within Marshall as well. I definitely found it interesting how this finish led to the, essentially, essentially the decision for Doc Holly's contract not to be renewed, and I just thought it was interesting, you know? I mean, <laughs> it, <laughs> If you're a Marshall fan, do you have reason to be disappointed with the way the season ended? Of course, especially when you get to a 7-0, right, and you're a top 15 team. And I think it's one thing to lose. It's another thing to lose in the fashion they did when they got shut out by Rice and then, you know, some of the disappointing losses. To not to not at least win the conference, which, of course, they weren't able to do with UAB, uh, losing to UAB, rather. I, I do think there's reason to, to be disappointed. And like you said, I guess maybe I'm a glass half full guy. And I look at the fact that, again, this is a COVID year. A lot of things, I know FIU fans listening to this are tired of hearing me say COVID year, but um, a lot of things, you know, weren't uh, the way they normally would be. And also, you're talking about a redshirt freshman quarterback in Grant Wells, who, quite frankly, was due for the kind of games that he had towards the end of the year. Right. So I think you take all those things into consideration and you can't necessarily be too surprised with the fact that, you know, things kind of falter down the end, but, but, you know, if you're a Marshall fan, if you're looking at things in totality, I guess in terms of, you know, transitioning to 
Doc Holliday not being with the program anymore, and now them hiring Charles Huff, the former Alabama running backs coach and assistant head coach. I guess if you look at things in totality, you say maybe you've underachieved over the past few years, and that maybe boils that or that maybe leads to some of that uh, that frustration that that uh, that bubbled up. But yeah, all in all, I mean, I, I, maybe two different arguments, you know, as opposed to the overall frustration versus this year. Uh, but that's just kind of my feeling on it. Yeah, I mean, the Doc Holiday uh, non-renewal situation there that definitely took me by surprise, and I think we talked a little bit about it earlier in the season. I, I really think he's a, a fantastic coach for this level of football. And when you look at the guys that he brings in, by the time that they're ready to leave, they're significantly better football players, which is ultimately what you want in a coach. You want someone who's going to develop players and and build value for the program. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, it that ending to the season just became too much to bear, I guess, for the Marshall administration. So that's, that's interesting how that played out. Yeah, Joe, I'll run this by you really quick and, you know, not to book the show here on air, but, you know, for those of you listening, uh, or the Marshall contingency, we're hoping, like I said, to have Grant trailer and, and potentially, you know, another uh, guest with Marshall coming up here in the near future. But Joe, I want to ask you this, this question It's probably someone we get something we can ask when we get those guests on later on, but just asking you, I my biggest thing was always just kind of wondering what the the ceiling is for that program in terms of recruiting, because you look at that area and it's West Virginia. And obviously it's not the most talent rich area in terms of, you know, football recruiting. Yeah, you got your Randy Mosses and Chad Pennington's Grant Wells is a, is a West Virginia native. But of course, you're not going to fill your whole team with West Virginia natives. Um, did, I'm just wondering if you kind of have the same feeling I did in terms of it takes a sp- the right person. I want to say a special person. What takes the right person to be at Marshall, which you, I think Doc Holliday did. Doc Holliday, excuse me, did a great job of that over the eleven years he was there, of making the most out of the talent that you can get at Marshall. Now, whether or not the discussion is can you get greater talent, I guess that's the question I'm asking you. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I felt like he did a great job of the talent that was uh, available to him. Now, whether or not you know Charles Huff will be able to to widen that talent base and recruiting base, I guess is the question. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be a tough test for him for sure. And yeah, that's a good point. West Virginia is not necessarily the most fertile recruiting ground in the country. That being said, though, I feel like with the, you know, kind of equity that Doc Holliday built as a coach, as well as kind of the equity that Marshall built as a program over the years, you know, they had a guy like Randy Moss, who's an NFL Hall of Famer, you know, they have a, a you know, pretty uh notable history just as a program in general that that's worth something to you know a number of of recruits up there and i feel like that's why they were able to get you know a decent number of like good south florida kids coming in uh year after year too no no that's a great point right and and for you know for those who may not know marshall has recruited south florida really well and i would assume that they will continue to be able to recruit South Florida really well. It's kind of one of the the running gags from those down here in the Sunshine State, just wondering, you know, how they're able to get kids from South Florida. But, you know, not to go in, in too dark of a, of, a, of, a, of a response here, but there's a lot of times where those kids from South Florida need that change of scenery and need to get out of, you know, Dade County or Broward County. And the beneficiary of that have been a lot of programs like Marshall and others who've been able to recruit Florida really well, specifically South Florida. Yeah. Uh, I mean – if you need a change of scenery, West Virginia has that <laughs> scenery. That's that's definitely true. <laughs> no, I no, I I love West Virginia. Uh, Marshall, it's 
can't wait to see you guys again soon. Um, hopefully we get to do that sooner rather than later with everything going on. Um, with that, let's jump into some news and notes from throughout the league here. Uh, first to start off with uh, some good news for the Charlotte 49ers. They get a transfer from Iowa State in uh, defensive lineman Joshua Bailey. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to watch uh, what he was able to do with the Cyclones, Eric, but I'm really fascinated by this move i think uh charlotte has kind of built up a reputation in the last couple of years of developing defensive line talent and i think this is going to be another really uh prime example of you know their abilities there if this move ends up working out yeah you know joe it's interesting when you look at charlotte and just kind of where they are as a program and will healy you can make the argument that no team really was as stunted uh, in terms of CUSA, by the effects of COVID-19, the pandemic, Charlotte was having nine games canceled due to either you know their own COVID situation or other teams. Will Healy looking to build off the momentum of you know that bowl win, or excuse me, the bowl game, the bowl appearance, excuse me, of 2019, and they're able to get a semblance of a season, six games, you know? So basically, I think for, for Charlotte to be able to still be able to attract talent after this year, after the year they've had, is huge. You know, they they lose. Excuse me, they lost Tykees Crawford, the big four-star recruit, the offensive tackle who entered the transfer portal. But to be able to get a guy like Bailey, who, if my memory serves me correct, his twin brother uh, is Jaquan Bailey, who, once again, if memory serves me correct, is like either first or second all time in Iowa State uh, history with sacks. So you know, definitely a talented player. And uh, yeah, if they can get you know keep attracting guys like that, especially through the transfer portal, and how full and how rich of experienced veteran talent it's going to be. I think that'll be a quick fix for Charlotte as they try to really build that program and build off the momentum they had with that bowl, bowl appearance. Excuse me. I keep wanting to say bowl win. I keep forgetting that they did not win the bowl game, but bowl appearance. <laughs> yeah, no, no bowls are won in CUSA this season, unfortunately. Um, definitely multiple buckets were filled with, with my tears watching that <laughs> bowl season, but we've, uh, we've uh, talked about that ad nauseum at this point. Uh, but speaking of defensive line and good news, uh, Jacques Turner, he entered the transfer portal for Southern Miss uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, what's happened now is he's officially withdrawn his name from the transfer portal. So when you look at you know a program that really needed some good news heading into this offseason, Southern Miss gets some in that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Southern Miss's defense, and I kind of wrote this in my way too early power rankings piece, not having Jaquez Turner was a huge reason why they really struggled on defense. Now, of course, they had guys like Hayes Maples step up and, you know, in expanded roles this year really play well. And I think that'll serve them better in the future. I know some Southern Miss fans were a little upset about being ranked 11th. Again, it's a way too early preview so as we get you know once the uh the transfer portal <laughs> settles down we can go back and revisit that but getting turner back is huge I, I think if will hall can get some of those guys who enter the portal to come back in addition to having you know a, um a trey low and a frank gore jr and uh the, the juco receiver whose name is escaping me right now uh, um jason brownlee if they can get those guys back you know they can turn things turn things in hattiesburg around pretty quickly but in specificity to turner really one of the better defensive players in conference USA over the past few years, I think totaled something like 14 and a half sacks, a hundred tackles during his time there, at least the last three seasons in Southern Miss. So getting him back huge for Will Hall. So if you look at uh, their neighbors in Louisiana tech, um, they get 
a sad development over there with Cody Russi heading into the transfer portal uh, was a really big part of their offensive uh, offensive attack was an all conference center. Um, Hopefully they can uh, get somebody in the uh, upcoming signing period here that will be able to fill out that depth on the offensive line there. Yeah, Joe, you know, it said that center quote unquote is the easiest position on the offensive line. And um, whether or not that's true, I will let those who are more equipped and more adept to answer that question uh, opine on that. However, I think there is great value in a center, especially one. If you look at, you know, some of the guys who've played in CUSA over the past few years, you know, whether it's Shane Magoo or um, oh, come on, the kid and put Marshall's name's escaping right now. It's a really good center. But um, there have been some really talented guys, and Cody Russi was also one of them as well. So um, especially at this level at G5 football, I think it's really great you know, to have just that depth across the offensive line. And it's definitely a, a, a void that'll you – know, something that Louisiana Tech and Skip Holtz will have to try to fill. So we'll see how they're able to go ahead and do that again. They had a really solid offensive line entering the year with Willie Allen, Donovan Campbell, Russi. We'll have to see now with Cody Russi entering the transfer portal. Uh, Donovan Donovan Campbell chooses to enter the NFL draft, whether or not Willie Allen chooses to return. Uh, Forgive me if he has made a decision at the time of this taping. I do not know. So um, I could come back and and that could have been decided already, but we'll see how Tech's able to recover from there. Yeah, it's it's a whole separate episode that we could fill, Eric, on that topic of whether or not center is the easiest offensive line position to play. I personally... Very much disagree, but uh, <laughs> we might have to get some offensive line experts in over the offseason to talk about that because Lord knows we have a lot of time to kill. Uh, but with that, uh, let's talk about Jeremy Meiser. He is transferring away from Old Dominion as a graduate transfer. Uh, he's wrapping up his academic career this spring, so he's got one more year to play uh, elsewhere. Uh, could be a solid addition for for some program out there. Yeah, and really quick, the Marshall Center, I think that was Levi Brown. I want to make sure because that was going to bother me if I couldn't remember that name. You know, one of the best uh, players in CUSA. But with Miser, Joe, it's interesting. And this is the reason why, and, and I'm, I apologize for keep referring to that, that power rankings piece that I wrote. I didn't include Old Dominion in there for a reason. You haven't seen them play in a year, A. And B, you got to see how that roster is going to shake out with Ricky Ronnie and guys, especially having the opportunity to not have this year accrued to their eligibility potentially transfer in, in the transfer portal and find a home and, and, you know, still have one or two years left. You see how that roster shakes out. You look at them losing Keon White, one of the, uh, the top. I thought Joe Keon White was, pri- was primed for a breakout season. Had there been a normal season, had Old Dominion played in 2020, uh, he had something like 20 or 21 tackles for loss in 2019. They lose mm-hmm. to the transfer portal, he goes to Georgia Tech. And then you look at Miser, who was kind of that, like, you know, meat and potatoes type defensive tackle a guy who's going to fill the void in there make the stops over his career 11 and a half tackles for stops 64 tackles overall definitely someone who would contribute as a starter at 6'3 280 so you know kind of that you know it's not going to wow you he's not going to lead the league in sacks by any stretch of imagination but it's a really solid football player it's a tough loss for Oldman. Yeah, and uh, one more tough loss that we need to get to here. Uh, Rice linebacker Blaze Aldridge has entered the portal as a grad transfer. Uh, had a really productive career with the Owls. 214 tackles, 29 tackles for loss, six sacks, two interceptions, and one forced fumble. All just in 30 games. 
Um, you know, aside from having uh, fantastic hair, Aldridge was also uh, one of the hardest hitters in CUSA the last couple of years. So I really feel like Rice is going to feel this loss when it comes to the defense next year. Undoubtedly, Blaze Aldridge has been one of the top players in CUSA over the past, really since the entire since in, since he got to CUSA. Uh, in I believe in 2018, if memory serves me correct, yeah, two two seasons at Rice. I mean, one of the top players in in, in Conference USA. So, uh, Rice's loss is Mizzou's gain. He is committed to Missouri, and he'll be playing in the Power Five. And quite frankly, he'll be playing on Sundays. I think if all things go according to plan, Blaze Aldrich absolutely an NFL linebacker. And uh, one more note to uh, wrap up the show on uh, Brian Ellis will serve as Western Kentucky's co-offensive coordinator and inside receivers coach moving forward. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting addition to that staff. Uh, you know, this season we, we definitely saw Western Kentucky's offense not be as uh, let's say productive as they have in in years past and in particular when you compare them to the first year of the uh tyson helton era here so uh that might be um that might be something that's uh, much needed for them and uh, particularly along the uh receivers among the receivers group i should say uh they're going to need some added wisdom as they uh look to com- basically completely rebuild that entire unit when you look at the amount of departures they've had the course of the last two seasons yeah joe you know i thought that's really interesting to see brian ellis as the co-offensive coordinator only because and once again for the audience who doesn't know brian ellis was the offensive coordinator over the past two years since you know, tyson helen's been at western kentucky now they hire zach kitley from houston baptist who comes in with the stearns brothers and of course with bailey zappi to run the air raid style offense for uh kitley is a disciple of the texas techs um team. so you know you're gonna see I believe Kitley said in his, in his uh, introductory press conference, he was brought to Bowling Green to light the scoreboard. So, you know, you have that in play. So I thought it was interesting to see that Brian Ellis will be the co-offensive coordinator. Uh, I believe Jared McDonald is the person who reported that. Uh, and he, the note that I saw there is that he'll report directly to Kitley. So, I mean, I think it's, Joe, it's just interesting, right? You know, and I'm sure they'll all work harmoniously and Brian Ellis and Tyson Helton go way back. So I'm more than sure that, you know, there won't be an issue there. But it's kind of <laughs> unique, right, that you get a demotion at your current job and then you got to report to like your new boss, the person who took your job, but you're still there. Right. So I guess all in all, I'm not you know, trying to uh, assume anything. I'm like I said, I'm sure it'll work harmoniously. I just found it as a kind of an interesting situation uh, that that's the case there. So we'll see how it goes, because essentially <laughs> it's like, hey, Brian Ellis, the, the scoreboard wasn't being lit up enough. So we're going to bring in someone else, but we still need you here uh, to serve a role. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like the the plot of like a buddy cop movie you know what i mean like the old guy gets demoted to work with like the young hotshot <laughs> new guy uh but in college football form almost so um but i mean if they made that movie i would probably watch it because <laughs> let's face it i got nothing else to do besides watch movies in covid land at the moment and with no football happening so um but yeah, no, I appreciate you breaking down some of these uh, news and notes with me, Eric, and talking about the uh, disappointment that was CUSA Bowl season. But uh, looking forward to the coming shows in the weeks ahead. We're going to have Evan Dudley on to talk UAB, Chris Vanini from The Athletic. So make sure you come back for those. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and check us out on Spotify as well. 
And of course, underdogdynasty.com for more G5 football content uh, to your heart's content. And then we're on Twitter as well at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Henry underscore. Happy football watching, everybody. We will talk to you very soon. Stay safe, happy, and healthy. 